Last week, George, on the last Sunday of the year, led us to reflect on what we've been going through. And on this Sunday, the first Sunday of the year, I'm focusing on where we're heading, but not so much foresee as to foresee. And the first of the four C's is to call. This year, like every other year, I suppose, there will be significant anniversaries. There will be birthdays with zeros on the end. There'll be the 100th anniversary of such and such, the 75th year since whatever. And one of the ones I noticed is that it's actually 20 years since the so-called Church Without Walls report went to the Church of Scotland's General Assembly. The report's impact um, has somewhat fizzled. But it started in the key place. It started in the right place. While it was itself a fairly lengthy document, its first point was absolutely basic and fundamental. It identified the core calling of the church to be, in Jesus' words, follow me. The report said, and I quote, that core calling, follow me, that core calling takes us back behind the secondary identities of denomination and tradition and calls us to turn again to be the people with Jesus at the center, traveling wherever Jesus takes us. It's the right place to start, I think, because, well, that's where Jesus began. When Mark describes the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and it's in the passage that Martin read to us earlier on, where after he'd been baptized by John, after he'd been tempted in the wilderness, he began his ministry— And Jesus began it with announcing that the kingdom of God had come near, repent and believe the gospel. And then we're told that as he walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw a fisherman and said to them, come, follow me. He repeated that to to James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. He called them, and we're told verse 20 in Mark 1, that they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the higher men and, f- and followed him, followed Jesus. And then again in chapter 2, again in the passage that Martin read for us, Jesus speaks to the tax collector Levi and said, follow me. And Levi got up and followed him. It was a call to be with Jesus, to not follow follow at a distance, but to be in a relationship with him. And indeed, in the very next chapter in Mark, in Mark chapter 3, when Jesus is calling the 12 apostles who were going to to be his faithful followers, we're told at verse 14 of chapter 3 that Jesus appointed these 12 apostles that they might be with him. Later in John's gospel, Jesus tells his followers, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. You will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. John 14. See how close that is? I am in you. You are in me. And then at the end of Matthew's gospel, as his followers are being commissioned and sent out into the world, Jesus sends them with the promise, I am with you always. So it's a vital, living, personal relationship with the living Savior that's at the very core of being a Christian. It's that is foundational. 
Not just thinking Jesus is a good guy, not just having some pious thoughts about him, but saying that we follow him and we follow with him in our lives and we in his life. And as well as being personal, I follow, I go with Jesus, it's also a call to serve in the real world in a specific time and place. So the disciples in Mark chapter 1 reading, they leave their nets. Levi, Mark chapter 2, leaves his tax desk. Now, the response is not to be identical for absolutely everyone. For example, Zacchaeus was a tax collector and wasn't told by Jesus to, to leave the tax job behind. But whatever, whatever the calling involves for us, it's, it's committed and it's sacrificial. We are to follow the one who, as we were looking at recently in our series in Philippians 2, one who humbled himself, made himself nothing, who gave up the glory in order to become vulnerable alongside us, to be with us. That is the Jesus that we are to follow. And that is foundational for the church, that we are the people who have heard and responded to Jesus' call to follow him, to live in fellowship with him. Well, the first C is call. The second C is church. Jesus called his followers to be with him, to be engaged in his work and in his mission in the world. Jesus didn't set up an organization or an institution, but started a movement, a movement of disciples who were to make disciples. And so in that call in Mark chapter 1 at verse 17, in the first passage we read, Come, follow me, said Jesus, and I will send you out to fish for people. Follow me, and then you'll be making other disciples. You'll be fishing for others. Disciples making disciples. In Jesus' view, that's what the church is. Disciples together following Jesus. But sooner rather than later, a certain amount of organization became needed in the church. In Acts chapter 2, the earliest record we have of the church gathering after the day of Pentecost, we're told that they gathered regularly to, to break bread together. Well, somebody's going to have to bring the bread, aren't they? You can't just turn up to break bread and say, I thought you were bringing it. Oh, no, no, I thought you were bringing it. Have you not got any? There's an amount of organization about a time and a place where they gather to do that. It speaks also in Acts 2 about how they shared their finances and so on. And that would take a bit of arranging. By Acts chapter 5, it seems there is a way set up for financial giving. And in Acts chapter 6, we're told about how they organized themselves to make sure that the needy were not overlooked. The people who were not getting food were, in fact, going to be fed. And so acting on that foundation to follow Jesus grew the church. People who met together in the real world. And so we're meeting in a, in a place, and we're meeting with a program, something that they were going to do together. And so people and place and program are all necessary. But the key thing is that they were built on the foundation of Jesus. The people were people following Jesus. The place was where they could most effectively gather to serve him. 
and the program was whatever took Jesus' work further in the world. And it was through the life and the witness of the other believers that the rest of the world, others in the world, came to hear about Jesus and follow him. Jesus had risen from the dead. Jesus had ascended. And so people were not going to bump into Jesus of Nazareth in the street. He wasn't there. And instances like the conversion of Saul on the Damascus Road that we read about in Acts chapter 8, that, that, that was remarkable and very unusual. Mostly people met Jesus through the life and the witness of Jesus' people. The body of Christ is his followers here on earth. So there was the call, follow me. The church grew out of that and was shaped by that. But my third C is Christendom. Now, as, as is the case with all movements in history, over time, things change. The biggest change for the church in the world was the coming of Christendom, and that is where the church and society, the church and the state, became in partnership, and their spheres of influence merged. Christianity became the official religion, firstly of the Roman Empire. And for a while, yes, that meant a broadening of Christianity's reach into the world, and that was good. But it came at an incredibly high price. For the church began to rely on the state and the state's powers, rather than rely on God and in prayer. The church, when it was a minority, had pled for religious freedom, for, but now it oppressed others and forced Christianity on them. Indeed, in certain times and certain places, years later, people could be fined for not going to church on Sunday. The church became obscenely wealthy and wasteful, even though poverty was all around. Referring to the story in Acts chapter 3 where Peter hailed a, a lame beggar at the temple gate, one pope said, no longer could the church say, as Peter said in verse 6 of Acts 3, silver and gold I do not have. The church was loaded. But his boast that silver and gold I do not have is something that church cannot say was met with the reply that neither could the church say, as Peter had done, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Because Jesus was being left out of the picture. Sometimes priests were appointed, not because they had a call from God or because they had studied the Bible and, and theology somewhere. No, sometimes priests were appointed simply because their parents were the bishop and the bishop's bit on the side. It was the easiest way for the bishop to provide for them, give them, give them a job, even though they couldn't read and, and were supposed to lead the mass and so on. It was extraordinary. The reliance on force and violence was most clearly seen in the disaster that was the Crusades. What's gone wrong? Well, the problem was that people, place, and program no longer bore much or indeed any connection to Jesus. The state provided. The church was in bed with the state and, and a whole different way of being came to pass. And it wasn't good. 
In fact, the church got so far from its basis in Jesus that it murdered those who were intent on translating the Bible into the language that people spoke. The church did that. Not the Communist Party, not the KGB, not Richard Dawkins. The church did that because it wanted to keep its own power. Now, in our time, the excesses of the Crusades, the favors for illegitimate children of priests, the burning of people who want to translate the Bible, well, these things are not very prevalent. But all too often, the loyalty is still to place, to people, and to programs even if the place, the people, and the programs might not be very much connected to Jesus and his call to follow. Hence, the loyalty to church buildings, the thinking that the building is the church, that I have my seat at the church, loyalty to church furniture and and costumes and so on. And then we settled for people being nice or coming to meetings and events without pressing the issue of whether or not they're following Jesus and if they know Jesus. Membership of the religious club called church was thought to be enough, and discipleship, if it was present at all, was an option. So that, for example, we had moved from Jesus who said that if anyone wants to come after me and follow me, he's going to daily pick up, have to pick up his cross and follow. We moved from that to the Church of Scotland saying, well, you can be a member as long as you attend communion once a year. What's that got to do with Jesus? That's an insult to the Lord who said, if anyone wants to come after me, take up my cross, take up your cross and follow. And so we focused on our coffee mornings, our meetings and programs, even when they might not be aimed at making gospel advances. Sales of work, dramas, church organizations became ends in themselves. Now, it's not that all of these things are wrong or bad in themselves. It is not that people, place, and programs are bad or wrong in themselves. Indeed, they are essential. We're in the the real world, and the real world expresses itself in time and space with routines and so on. But the key thing is that there is something wrong if the people and place and programs themselves are the be-all and end-all, and there is little or no thought about how does this better help the mission of Jesus in the world. And when we look at how Christianity has floundered in the West and how Christianity in our day and age is still growing hugely in many parts of the world, we actually see the story of the early church repeated. Where the church has focused on the institution, where the church has become an end in itself, it struggles. But where the church has had a conscience dependence on Jesus, a committed obedience to Jesus, a clear focus on the charge to make disciples, so the church has and continues to flourish. So there was a call from Jesus, follow me. Not vague, not general, but quite specific and, and searching. 
Out of that call comes the church, the people of God following together and being serious about Jesus. Then comes Christendom with all its pluses and minuses, and in my view, mainly minuses, where the state powers and influences become more important than Jesus. And my fourth C is Clermont. Now, of course, we have a lot to be pleased and, and thankful for and thankful about as we finish one year and go into a new year. And what has been a very difficult year for many, the congregation has kept up its responsibilities and finances. We've continued to meet together of sorts, mostly online. We've continued to learn together. There's been much giving and caring. And yet signs of pre previous Christendom era are still with us. Place, people, and programs matter most to at least some of us, irrespective of whether or not the people and place and programs are Christ-honoring, Christ-centered, and Christ-focused. Having what we like in terms of activities, seeing our pals matters more to some of us than seeing Jesus form more deeply in us and seeing the love of Jesus shared with others. So, for example, the response to the request to hand out Christmas bags, although we got them all out in the end, was in fact deeply disappointing. Sure, a good number of folks played their part in the whole work, and we're grateful for that. A lot of effort was quickly forthcoming to help out, to get things together, to make masks, to make donations, and so on. But the slowest part of the whole thing was folk volunteering to say, yes, I can take a bag to a friend or a neighbor. There is someone I know to whom I would like to extend a blessing. There is someone I know to whom I would like to extend something in the name of Jesus as an expression of interest in and, and commitment to them. Many of us simply didn't bother with that. Even though we say we follow the one who called us to be disciples and to make disciples. I understand that the threshold and the, and the challenge to be um, sharing faith and speaking about Jesus is, is a big leap for some of us, but taking a background to someone and say, we're thinking about you, we're interested in you, that's not a big step, that's not a big leap. What happens when the church isn't in all of its people intent on being that and doing that? That was something that we could measure, whether the bags went out or not. We couldn't measure October's challenge to be praying for non-Christian friends. But did you, the folks that you were being praying for? Not praying that they'll just get a wee bit better or pass an exam, but praying that they'll come to Christ. What about the provision that we made of the Come and See series and the invitation to say, go and find someone that you could go over that with and share faith, tell the story. It's there for you to use. Did you ask anyone about that? It's not really to say that the church is in trouble and so we better have some kind of recruitment drive. 
This is to say that the church is only the church when there is the conscious forming and nurturing of the life of Jesus among us. That's the call. That's the foundation. We're going to be holding a few series from next week, not because there's a gap and we need to fill the gap and some kind of uh, events or programs to make us feel good, but particularly because we want one another to see who we are in Christ and what it means to relate to Jesus and follow. One series is about dealing with conflict. Another is about what it is to be part of Jesus' work. Jesus Church. It's a reworked look at, me- look at membership, except it's not really membership they were interested in, it's discipleship. And the third option is a rerun of the recent focus group series on mission-shaped living. Particularly for the ones on Claremont family life, membership together, discipleship together, particularly for that one on the mission-shaped living, to think for those folks who have not really bothered before, folks who have not thought about it, folks who have not considered to say, actually, maybe, maybe this is something I need to get to grips with, because there's no point in relying on Christendom. There's no point in relying on the denomination. There's no point in relying on the traditions. That's what the Church Without Walls report was saying, that the call, follow me, gets us beyond that. The church needs to change, and Claremont needs to change, not to be trendy, not simply to keep up with the times but to learn and to practice what Jesus has called us to be. We need to rid ourselves of the vestiges of the doomed Christendom era, especially now that the state and the society's support is no longer there, and indeed the state and the society's message are more and more specifically anti-Christian. And that's why the church has had a bad time in our generations. We relied not on Jesus, not on following Jesus. We were serious not about discipleship, but about our our place, our programs, our nice people that we were. And we felt that was fine, and it looked fine from the outside while the the state was broadly sympathetic and, and everything else. But now that that's gone, we're an anachronism in the modern world. And we have nothing to to rest on, no foundation to base on, unless we're following Christ seriously. In 2020, we were not able to have our annual meeting. But the previous year, in 2019, at that meeting, I finished my presentation with saying that our commitment that I want to build on is to build and deepen and strengthen the core of church life. That is, I want to remove and, and abandon the soft center of church life. You know, just turn up now and again, just go to communion once a year, just put a few bob in a free will offering envelope. It's not following Jesus seriously. And so we need to deepen and strengthen the core, which is hearing Jesus say, follow me, and working out what that means. And then secondly, to extend the reach of the congregation, to realize that the Jesus who calls us to follow is the Jesus who, Mark 1.17, then said, come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. He's the Jesus who sends us to, to reach out. 
And that is what the series on the Clement Family Life and the Mission Shape Living series are seeking to do. To say here is our calling. Here is how we live Jesus. And here is how we reach out in Jesus' name. And that is what Jesus asked us to do. That is what Jesus modeled with his own disciples. And that is what Jesus has commanded us to do and his church to be. Let us pray. Lord, that following of Jesus was, for the disciples, not so much a chore as an exciting adventure. Sure, there were hard times. Sure, there were perplexing questions. And we read in the Gospels of of many of those. But ultimately and finally, they were saying, we wouldn't have been anywhere else with anyone else or done anyone else. Because here is the words of eternal life. So give us that kind of clear-sightedness. Disturb our complacency. Challenge us in our resistance to stepping out in faith. And Lord, help us increasingly to grow towards being a people who are disciples and, and making disciples. For Jesus' glory. Amen.